we spread out this morning? Why is everyone spread out? Can, can you guys move in a little bit? Like, just that are right. There's a couple of open seats and That feels a bit better. Hallelujah. <laughs> so maybe before I even start sharing, let's let's go. Well, Jesus, we want to welcome you in this place. Holy Spirit, would you come and lead, even as I share and what I prepare to share, that you would speak, that you would lead me. If I move off my notes, if I do what it, Lord, I pray that it would be in you. Holy Spirit, would you come and lead us this morning? Would you come and change hearts? Would you come and shift hearts? Would you come and transform people's hearts, Lord? Because it's, it's only you that can do that. No amount of eloquent words or teaching is going to do what you can do by the Spirit. So, Lord, I pray that we would be less so that you can do more. Less that you can do more. In Jesus' name, amen. You guys hear me? How's this, just, how's this sound? A little bit better this week? Is it getting much better? Much better. Oh, that's cool. We just dropped them <laughs> off, the, off the speakers. So forgive us. There are uh, just so moms that do use the mom's room. I know there's normally a speaker at the top there, um, but we're actually just having to use it this week. We are getting more monitors, so hopefully by next week we'll have that back there. I, just, I know that can sometimes suck as a mom. You go up there and there's no, you can't hear what's going on. So... What I want to share this morning, I feel like God's been stirring it in my heart for the last couple of weeks, actually, and it's come out in different forms and fashions and sizes, and everywhere I go, it just seems to come through, and it does seem to be a thread of what God is doing uh, in us, even just as Margot was saying, in the prayer time, they were there, and it's like they saw Jesus, they were cut to the heart, and if if we're not being cut to the heart, if we're not seeing Jesus, like what we're doing is, it's actually a facade. It's just kind of you, you're building something that's not real. Because why, why are you even doing it? It's like building a house without foundations. Because you kind of want to look like something, but you haven't laid the foundations. You haven't, and then you're going to build it, and that house may come crumbling down. You know the story about the wise man builds his house upon the rock, and the storms may come, the house will stand. The foolish man builds his house upon the sand, storms will come, and the house gets flattened. So what is our foundation? What is our very and I'm not preaching foundations, but what is the thing that cuts us to the heart, really? And um, so maybe, oh, I'm already going way off my notes anyway. <laughs> so I read an article this, this week, and it just fascinated me. So, and you'll, like, you'll, you'll see my thinking as I try and work my way through this. So as recently as 2018, doctors prescribe people that um, I think you're just struggling with depression and stuff like that, um, to actually go, they're prescribing museum art visits. It's quite interesting, eh? 2018. They are convinced that there is a link between looking at objects of beauty and the serotonin levels in the human body. Eh? Yes. Yeah. It's interesting that, eh? And I mean, that's, it blows my mind how we are made fearfully and wonderfully made, 
that actually these things do produce, and I think there's, 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 it's real, it's, it happens. But now there's something, you know, the, and, and then the world kind of steals this thing, and we've heard this, I don't know if some of your teachers have heard this word, mindfulness and meditation and all of these things. So the world, what the world does is they take that concept, that thing, and they say, you need to be, now you need to go and look at the art, you need to become mindful and like all of these things. And, and it works, actually, to some level, to some degree. You know, Philippians 4 verse 8, you don't have to put it up, but it says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. So some translations say, meditate on these things, focus on these things. And actually, the world takes that and twists it, kind of, and says, no, that's, we must... We must look at an, a worldly thing. But what actually, what is perfect and excellent and worthy and praiseworthy? Jesus. It's Jesus. And um, there's this type of life that when we come to Jesus that we kind of, we, we begin to live a life of holiness. And it looks a certain way, as I mentioned earlier, like devotion. We talk about them in Acts 2.42 when we see the values of what church is. We've been talking a lot about values of even community, of coming together, of loving one another. These are fruits and values, but they're produced by something more than that. They're produced by a belief and a faith in Jesus, a, a, sight, of sight, a sight of Jesus. So the main scripture I actually want to, I want to, kind of work through for today is Romans 12 verse, you can put one and two, but we start with one. So this is a scripture that the Lord's been speaking to me out. It says, therefore, now this is Paul speaking to the Romans, and uh, he says, therefore, I urge you, brothers. So who's, who's speaking? Paul. Now, before we even go further, he says, therefore, I urge you, I urge you. There's something quite urgent about urging someone, right? It's a, it's a plea. It's a, it's a plaw. I'm imploring you. Listen to what I have to say. This is important. This is of the utmost importance. This is very urgent. He's asking them. He's instructing them. He's appealing to them. In the first three words, he's, he's showing the importance of actually what he wants to say. Brothers and sisters. So who's he speaking to? Speaking to everyone. Is he only speaking to them? No. He's speaking to us now too, actually. In view of God's mercy. In view of God's mercy. Now, I want to stop right there quickly. I don't want to move any further than that until we just unpack that a little bit. Motivation, reason, the why is God's mercy and His grace towards us. So maybe if you're visiting and you don't even know what mercy is, those are pretty, we don't use words like that all the time today. So what is mercy? So mercy is something that is not given to you that you deserve. Interesting that, eh? Grace is something that is given to you that you do not deserve. So they're almost, so in view of his mercy, so we, the way, when we get born, we're born with a sinful nature. We're born under the wrath of God, actually. We deserve the wrath of God. We deserve, we're sinful by nature. We're not good by nature. 
We deserve, God is just, his nature is just, his character is just. We deserve the full wrath of God. But he doesn't give it to us, even though we deserve it, because of his grace. And his grace was, a, was something that was given to us that we didn't deserve. And it was Jesus. The price that he paid on the cross for us, like, is, should blow our minds. Perfect in every single way. He lays down his life for us. Not for him. He's not even thinking about him. He's giving it up for, for us. So because of that, now we're able to, to take hold of this thing. So maybe, like, I, don't, I, I just want to maybe pause right there because, you know, what does that mean? Like, I'm talking about these things, and it's only God's Spirit that can transform your heart. It's only God's Spirit that can regenerate you, actually. So I might be, you, this morning you might be here, and you actually might never have accepted that gift of grace. And actually you are, in a, in a way, you, you are still under God's wrath. And one day when you die, there will be a penalty for that. But if you are in Christ, by faith, believing in Jesus, you won't have that penalty of, de of eternal death, which is hell. Now, I'm, like, this is, a, this, this is a, a simple gospel message that I'm giving because we've got to have that foundation before we move any, anything further than that, actually. And, and the thing is, it's not me that's saying anything. My words, are, I mean, you might not even be under, completely understanding with me, but it's the Holy Spirit that's speaking to you. Even now, right now, right now as I'm speaking to you, the Holy Spirit might be going, you might be going, <coughs> that's me. Or, like, or, or what is that? Why is my heart beating so fast? Why am I feeling uncomfortable? I feel like Ross is speaking to me. <laughs> I know that feeling. I was there once. But actually, it's not me speaking to you. It's the Holy Spirit speaking to you. And like God says, for day, today is the day of your salvation. So there's going to come an opportunity later. I, might, I want to give you an opportunity to actually respond to that and go, I, actually, that is me. I felt like I want to... Yes. So it's by f how? How does, it, how does this happen? How do we receive Jesus? It's by faith. The Bible says we cannot please God without faith. So by faith we receive that gift and we walk with Jesus. Okay, so I'll unpack that a little bit. But I just felt like I needed to just lay that foundation because somebody, might, you might walk through the door, I haven't met you. You may not even have an understanding of what I'm talking about and it kind of just all goes over your head and... Is it all right? So, in view, let's go back. In view of his mercy. So I, <laughs> tell you a quick story. Um, I, you guys know that we used to live in Mossel Bay, and we um, bought a property there. Uh, how long ago was it? Now, eight years ago, seven years ago? Um, so we bought this house in Mossel Bay, and it was a very old dilapidated house. It didn't have running water when we bought it. It had overgrown garden. You couldn't even, apparently there was even a pizza oven there. Roof, for those of you who don't know, this is Rufus, guys. He's a good friend of mine from Mossel Bay. <laughs> sorry. So you were there when we first bought. No, no, you came a couple of, you know, sorry. So, um, yeah, anyway, so making my way through the garden, I went to, uh, there was actually a pizza oven underneath one of the trees. I have no idea I even had. <laughs> It had a pool, but the pool was empty. It had a crack in it. It had like this sludge. Like it was terrible. Um, there were cracks. It was just, I mean, I think the house was 100 years old. I think it was a trading post. Like a, like it was apparently a little cafe that they used to sell sweets and sugar 
like the boats used to come in. They said it was built pretty funny. Anyway, so we obviously don't have a lot of money. Like we newly, we were quite newly married. We've been married about a year and a half. Um, don't have a lot of money. Just managed to scrounge enough together just to get a bond for the house, right? And uh, this house needs a lot of work. Now, how are we going to live in this house? We're like we're sleeping in the lounge because no other room in the house is livable. <laughs> and uh, and I begin to work on this house. My goodness me, I worked hard on that house. I worked until like th- I was working a full time job. I'd get home at five o'clock in the afternoon. I would be leave at seven o'clock in the morning. Um, Margot was working as well, and it, it's just like it was me that was doing the work because I couldn't afford to pay somebody to do it. I was slogging, so I was my own laborer. And uh, yes, there were times where I just wanted to give it up. It's like come on, this I'm over this now. But every single time I walked out of my, I have sliding doors in the front of my house where my pool is. I walked out of my sliding doors and I looked up. I was like, oh, that's why I do this. Because that house, it may have been old, it may have been terrible, but man, it's got an amazing view. My goodness me. It's got an amazing view. You look over the entire bay of Mossel Bay, the ocean is just, it's like, it's when you literally, when you step out and you look up, you go, you just feel life coming into you. And I was like, that's why. This is worth. And every now and again, I'd be working in the, like in the one of the back room, chipping tiles out of the bathroom, and I'd have to run to the front just to look at the view and remind myself why I'm doing this again. <laughs> but like, it was that view that made it worth it, actually. And so, if we don't see something that makes it worth it. I would have been living in a box, like a shoebox. Like it would be terrible, man. Just I would not have gone there. So for like it's a for me that's a beautiful picture actually of of even the even this message, this gospel, and that's the gospel message. That's his mercy. We need to. We maybe I'm going to go back to that scripture in in view of his mercy, in view of the price that he paid for us. Actually. That's what we always need to be looking at. We always need to be taking ourselves back to that, going, oh, my goodness, God. Like James shared last week on prayer, I love the angle he came at it from my sovereign God, so much bigger than my problems. He dwarfs my problems. But when we look at our problems, they just seem to get bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger, and God seems to get smaller and smaller. No. We look at God. Problems, smaller. So, in view of his mercy, so there's these few scriptures as we work through this that have been speaking to me incredibly these last couple of weeks, and I've shared this one actually last week, Matthew 6, to 23. This scripture, I think I shared it last week, it's changed my life. Promise you. Like, I get tears in my eyes when I think about how much this scripture has changed my life. It's changed my marriage with my wife. It has changed everything. The eye is a lamp unto the body. Remember me sharing the scripture last week. So what does a lamp do, guys? Gives light. Without it, we don't have, we can't see, right? So if your eye is healthy, if your flame is burning, it will provide light, right? Your whole body will be full of light. So if your flame is not burning, if your lamp has not got a flame in it, is there going to be light? No. 
if it's not healthy. So what is he actually saying? He said, but if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is this darkness? What that scripture is saying is exactly that same principle that I started with. What we look at affects us. It's the same scripture here when we, go, when we read in Romans. We continue with that scripture in Romans. It says, this is good, eh? Jeez, well done. First, this is, this, it's Tracy's first time on AV this week, and you're doing flipping good. <laughs> Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed. Be transformed. It's the same, that's the same scripture, just a little bit further down in Romans. So when we look at the light, when we look at the goodness, when we look at these things, we begin to be filled with these things, actually. So now who's the light? Who's the light? Jesus is the light of the world. I think in John, it's John 8, 12, he says that, I'm the light, Jesus is the light of the world. I'm the light of the world. So it's, it's to be looking at Jesus. Now, what is Jesus? Everything that is good, pure, excellent, and praiseworthy is him, in him. So there's this sense of, so this is how it helped our marriage. Let me maybe just use that as an example. So me and Margo, um, no one's perfect, right? No one's perfect, although you're pretty close. No, <laughs> so, but the one or two little things that she didn't quite get right, just the one or two, I would begin to fixate on those things. I begin to look at those things. And all of a sudden, all the things that she did right would begin to fade away. And in my eyes and in my heart, she was falling short as a wife. That's a terrible thing to say, and we've worked through this, but like, it's like, what's going on here? And really, it was not a lot of stuff that she was doing wrong, but just those few things. I would fixate on those things, and I think I've learned my personality is I get hyper-focused. <laughs> and, uh, and it just was not helpful. And um, as soon as I saw, so she actually shared the scripture with me. <laughs> And when I, when I read the scripture, God, by his spirit, cut me to the heart, and I realized what I was doing. I got on my knees, and I just said, Jesus, forgive me. I am so sorry. I have not looked at the goodness of my wife and actually what you've given me. And I, and I asked him to help me change. I still make the mistake of doing it now and again, but something has changed. And I began to look at what God has done in her life, how he's blessed me with what she's done, and my view of her began to change. I began to feed myself with the goodness. And God was working in her and through her in those things. So I'm just using that as a practical example of how when we look at things, they, act, they really do affect us. They really do. It's not just like, yes, sir. How's this scripture? 2 Corinthians 3 verse 18. With unveiled faces, beholding the glory of the Lord, being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to the next. So the same image that we get transformed into is Jesus Christ. Only if we're looking at him. Because if we're not looking at him, we're not getting transformed into him. So yeah, it's a big question. Like you have to ask yourself this question. What are you looking at? 
like, and even just talking about this and sharing these things, I'm very aware of the fact that, like, it can just go overhead. So I'm, uh, so I'm going to go a little bit, I want to get a little bit practical of actually what it, what it is to look at Jesus and how we do that. But, so I, um, I was just thinking about this. There's a lot of, I mean, there's persecution in the world today, even with Christians. There's persecution. There has been for 2,000 years with Christians. I think it was a little bit, it was bad at the beginning, and it's getting bad again now. I think there was a time in between that it wasn't too bad. <laughs> um, what, why would somebody die for this? Why would somebody die for this? Why would somebody die for Jesus? You have to have seen something pretty good. You have to be fixated on Jesus to be willing to die for him, right? So if you are prepared to put your life on the line for Jesus, you better make sure you're looking at him. Because you're not going to want it if you're not looking at him. I can promise you. They, Those early Christians that were beheaded, that were massacred for him, had him in their sights. And I think about that's what produces that type of life. That's what produces a sacrifice. That would they they're paying the ultimate price, the ultimate sacrifice to their life with their lives. So if you're not like, how's this story? In the 1700s, there was a there were two German guys, um, Johann uh, Johann Leonard Durbin. Johann Leonard Dober and David Nitzmann in the 1700s. They were two German missionaries, and they felt in their heart, they got in their heart that they wanted to go minister to the slaves, the West Indian slaves. And um, the story goes like this, is um, all their friends thought they were nuts. Um, everybody in the church thought they were crazy. I think it came down to like two people actually supporting, like actually going, if this is the Lord, go. So the reality is for them to get to those slave colonies like would take pretty much everything. To even, try and, to even get there was hard enough. There wasn't even a, a guarantee that they could get there. They were willing to sell themselves into slavery to get there, to share the gospel. What, what have you seen that produces that type of faith? Because like... And I joke about it, but we moan about getting up when it's raining to come to church on a Sunday. These oaks. These oaks. <laughs> are prepared to sell themselves into slavery. And we're like, eh, I don't feel like going to community tonight. All right. Now, now we, try and, uh, we try and equate, well, how does going to community even, what has that got to do? And I'm going to get there just now as well. But if we're not looking at Jesus, we're never going to live that life. And if we do live that life without looking at Jesus, we're not going to last very long because then it's just performance and works. And we're going to burn out, and then we're going to get very disillusioned and might as well pack up and go home now. <laughs> no, I'm just being serious. Because <laughs> the time's coming where the persecution's going to be on our... I mean, it's, we still, it's, it's, it's getting stronger and stronger and stronger. So the, it, it came, how amazing is this, the, the people that saw these guys sail off into the distance. So eventually they did. They jumped on a boat and off they went. I don't think they ever saw their families again. They had families too. How hectic is that? I mean, imagine waving Margot, Anya, and Ella goodbye, knowing that I'm never going to see them again and I might, there's a good chance I'm going to die. 
but I'm going. Like I would struggle to even compute that, even if that's responsible, because I have a responsibility to my family. But if I understand what community and church is, actually, they belong to you too. So you pick up that responsibility if God's called you to that. Now that's a whole other thing. We worked that out. <laughs> I'm not going down that road now. <laughs> so they got, this is what was said about them. The only thing that surpassed their passion for doing God's work was their passion for God himself. That's incredible. If we don't have a passion for God and for what he's done for us more than our passion for doing what he's called us to do, we're going to come unstuck somewhere. So I'm not saying do less. I'm saying do more, but see Jesus more. <laughs> you understand what I'm saying? I'm not like, we, but we have to behold him. We have to be seeing him, and it will produce something in us. So how? Because we've been talking about looking at Jesus and that. So I've, and I've been thinking about this as well. Like we can talk about it, and it becomes a very um, oops, I've even got a word for it. Um, it can it can't, abstract. Thank you. Very abstract concept. Looking at Jesus. What does that mean? He lived two thousand years ago. Now he's seated at the right hand of the Father. I can't see into heaven. Sometimes, <laughs> maybe. I wish I could. So what, like, what does it mean to look at Jesus? So I thought, okay, how can I, how does that apply to me? How do I look at Jesus? So let me explain to you how I found it. First of all, you remember that old um, bangle that you used to have, the what would Jesus do bangles? Remember those? Kind of became a bit of a cliche, but those things are powerful. Well, maybe not those things, but what is said on those things is powerful. But maybe before we go, what would Jesus do, we've got to go, what did Jesus do? You like that? You like that? <laughs> Come on. So what did he do? He paid the ultimate price. So we've looked at that. We've looked at mercy. We've looked at grace. But we've got to keep asking ourselves the question, what did Jesus do? In my situation, when I'm facing something, when I've got to make a decision, what did Jesus do? enables me to ask the question, what would Jesus do? Okay, so if you're asking what would Jesus do and you haven't seen what he's done, then you're probably going to struggle to do what, he's, what he did. Do you, do you understand? So I, I've seen him. I look at him. I, 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 I gaze upon his mercy and his grace. Regularly I do that. I regularly cut to the heart when I worship. I'm, man, I see it. But whenever I get faced with a situation, whenever, whatever I'm in, I'm always asking myself the question, what would Jesus do? How would he respond? How would he act? What would his decision be in this? And I can almost, <laughs> I can take it and narrow it down to a small piece of his life, a few hours of his life, actually. When he was in the garden of Gethsemane, just before just before he was crucified, his road that he walked to the cross, his death on the cross, and actually just that little part of his life, and I can see it all working out. Because he's, he's on his knees in the garden, and he's going, Father, if this cup can pass me by, he's asking God, he's saying, if there's any way, any way at all, 
please, I don't want to go, I don't want to die. But not my will be done, but yours. And for me, there's already, there's a, okay. So I'm going to face suffering. I'm going to face hardship. It's not what I want, Lord, it's what you want. He gets arrested, walks the road to the cross like a lamb to the slaughter. I mean, we're around Easter time now, so actually that's, that's a good message for me, Easter's. But he walks the road to the cross knowing what's coming. He knew that they were going to revile him, they were going to spit on him, they were going to lash him, they were going to torture him, and they were going to eventually kill him. He knew that was coming. Yet still he goes, knowing what's coming, and choosing to forgive them for what they are going to do to him. That boggles my mind. Would you walk out this door knowing that somebody was going to mug you, having already forgiven them? Oh, that might be a bad example. <laughs> but you understand that? He knew what he was doing. He was putting his life on the line, and he knew that they were going to fail. Lord, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He had chosen to forgive them. So like, and when I look at that short, those few hours of his life, I'm going, Yo, Lord, I need to forgive. I need to believe the best of. I need to trust you. Not my will be done, but yours. I see a sacrifice in Jesus. Every time I look at that little piece of scripture, just that I, th- I often meditate on that. I often am taken back to the garden, I'm th- and I think about it. And I picture Jesus on his knees praying. I picture him walking to the cross, and I'm like, Lord, you knew what was going to happen. How did you forgive them? How? You know what he says? It wasn't for me, not me, it wasn't for him that he forgave them. It was for us. Jesus did what he did for them, for us. There's something in his walk, in in reflecting Jesus, in looking to Jesus, where he doesn't worry about himself. He looks outwards. He looks at them. How does it affect them, what I'm doing? That's like the most selfless act. Unto death, he dies for their sake. I'm like, and I moan when I'm uncomfortable because somebody showed up late or this or that. I'm like, God, how how far are we are from from reflecting you, Jesus. You know, one of the, the those those two guys that I'm talking about that went to um, to the West Indies. I think it was the West Indies, or one of those islands. So there's a journal entry for them when they land on the beach, and it's the most bizarre journal entry. As they land. They, instead of experiencing incredible joy and excitement and all of that, this incredible depression comes in. Amazing, you know. It's like, oh, that's a bit bizarre. I was thinking a little bit about that. But then when I realized this, we can be doing what God's called us to do, but if we take our eyes off Him, we're going to lose our peace, and that depression will come. So even in the will of God, we can still feel like that. It's interesting. If we take our eyes off him, though, 
So the key is to keep our eyes on Him, and He will make all things possible. He will give us the grace sufficient for now and what He's been called to do. But them walking out what God had called them to do, they were convinced, utterly convinced. They land there in the moment about to do what He's called them to do, and all of a sudden they lose their peace. Depression comes over them. So what does that mean now? They're no longer, they're not doing the right thing anymore. No, 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 no. They're still doing the right thing. They're just taking their eyes off Jesus. I think for that moment, they took their eyes off Jesus, and they had to turn back to him to go, okay, cool. This is what you've called us to. This is what you've called us to. And how often do we do that? We often do that. We get uncomfortable in our situation, and we get uncomfortable in something. But hang on, no, 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 no. God's called you to this. No, 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 but I don't feel like it. What do you mean you don't feel like it? God's called you to this. <laughs> no, 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 I'm, I'm uncomfortable. Don't. Do you think it was comfortable for Jesus to go to the cross? But Jesus knew what was on the other side of the cross. So it's going to feel uncomfortable. There are times where it's going to be uncomfortable. It's going to be difficult. But you've got to be looking to him because you're going to lose your peace. You're going to lose your, your comfort. You're going to lose your mind. <laughs> it feels like you're going to, there might be moments when it feels like you're going to lose your mind. But God, you've got to look at him. Ask, okay, Lord, how would you respond to this? How would you do this? So, carry on with that scripture in Romans. Now, this is just looking at Jesus. What does it produce in us? And the scripture says, to offer your bodies or your lives as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is true and proper worship. So, earlier we started worshiping, and I've used the scripture as well to try and Motivate us to worship. Another good word used, motivate, but you know what I mean. Because we have to see the, his mercies, so then we respond in worship. When we started worshiping this morning, to be honest with you, I just like, I don't know, it didn't feel like any of you guys were worshiping. Maybe it's the weather. <laughs> I'm not going to, I'm not judging. <laughs> I just, it felt flat. Just being honest. I said to Eskian, I said, yes, it feels flat. So it's like, yep. To James, like a flat, it's like, yep. <laughs> so it's like, well, okay, if the Lord's not in this, then let's can it and let's find what He wants to do, and then maybe we'll respond properly. Actually, I'm just being very open and honest with you guys. This is church, this is family, this is how we do this. <laughs> I'm not putting on a show. So if if we want to be transformed into a living sacrifice. We need to look at the ultimate sacrifice, right? He's a like that one. He's a like that one. I'm coining that one. If you want to be transformed into a sacrifice, into a living sacrifice, you need to look at the ultimate sacrifice. At how he did it, what he did, and begin, begin to respond like him. And it produces a fruit of a sacrificial living, a kingdom life, a life that is devoted to the kingdom, seeking first the things of the kingdom. First. No matter what. So I find ourselves, we, we regularly have to ask this question, I think, in seeing Jesus. How does it affect them? I often ask myself that question. I, I lead the church, but I know my actions affect you. What I do affect you. So do your actions affect people around you? 
And I'm not saying, oh, it's gonna re- and like, I'm not saying, well, yeah, that's obvious things, the sin, but the things that we don't do. Because God's put us together f- to actually minister to one another as well. Like, I'm looking, there's, there's a lot of guys not here this morning. I'm aware of that. Concerned. They're missing out on this. They're missing out on God moving us forward. And there's a sense of, what it, how's it going to affect them? If I don't come on a Sunday morning, how's it going to affect you? <laughs> okay, I'm, preach, I'm preaching, but like, there, I've still got something to give. I'm still coming as a living sacrifice. I'm presenting myself as a living sacrifice. Uh, whether I sh- get to just say one encouraging word to Ruth or give Uncle Sid a hug, say hello, nice to see you. Like, I come to give. If I didn't do that, I wouldn't have been able to do that. So how is it affecting people? You guys are right. Well, no, no. Ooh, yes, I'm going long. I never used to pre- preach as long. So I think, um, I, think, I think you guys are getting what I'm saying, right? Because I think we can quickly go. Let's, I, I wrote a couple of things down here. We love to ask the questions, am I comfortable here? What am I getting out of this? How am I getting prepared? How am I growing? This is a very interesting. I just want to share this one thing quickly. How am I growing? We love, we love, we, I mean, it seems like a noble question, right? Because we want to grow in the Lord. So the, how do we grow? And when I was thinking about this, I was like, this is so true. So by not seeking knowledge, or even purpose, but by seeking to love others. So we come seeking to learn. We come seeking even sometimes purpose. But our purpose in Jesus is to love others. The biggest thing, the biggest thing we call to is actually to love one another. You know, so quickly tell you one story. John, the Apostle John. Uh, church history tells us that um, 